chapter 7. We'll just be looking at uh, two short stories at the end of Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Um, we, we enter this text. Jesus is traveling. He's, he's traveling, uh, if you're ge- geographically minded, he's traveling about 30 miles northwest of Galilee, where he's been doing a lot of his ministry on the northern shore of Galilee, um, to a Gentile region in the city of Tyre, and that's on the coast, uh, Mediterranean coast. Um, that city, if you've read through the Old Testament, was an on and off enemy of Israel. Uh, he, after that, he apparently travels a little farther north, maybe about 10 more miles north, and then en- ends up circling back to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also a Gentile region um, called the Decapolis, which means the Ten Cities. Now, we did hear a story already out of that region. Does anybody know what it was? Yes, yes. So that was the area that Jesus healed the man with the legion of demons, and where they, they ended up asking Jesus to leave. That was the whole thousands of pigs off the cliff story. Um, so Jesus, we don't really know why he's taking this trek. Um, a lot of people kind of feel like he's maybe just trying to get away. It's a time to regroup and rest. You get that, that idea a little bit in the beginning of the text. Um, but as usual, he can't keep a low profile. He, wherever he goes, um, people end up knowing he's there and seeking him out. Um, so we are going to go through this first story. I've asked uh, a couple of actors to come forward. So Joe, uh, welcome Jesus, everyone. And, uh, or as Megan calls him, J- Joseph, Joseph. That's Joe and Jesus together. So, um, and then, um, what? What is your name? <laughs> Jody is our Gentile woman. Gentile woman. So I'm going to narrate. When you guys have your lines, I won't say that he told her or she replied. You can just go for it. Okay. So um, I'm going to narrate. Jesus left that place and went to the city of. Tire, so you got to imagine he's traveling. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. You got to enter the house. Yeah, so he enters the house, didn't want anyone to know it. Um, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let's let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. He went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Thank you. Thank you, Joe and and Judy. So, this woman goes to Jesus. She's a Gentile woman. She's, uh, Mark calls her Greek. That was often a catch-all phrase uh, for Greek-speaking non-Jews in the area. She comes to Jesus begging for deliverance of her daughter. And initially, Jesus seems to rebuff 
her request. He says, first let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So it's a really interesting story. Um, It certainly seems that Jesus is saying, hey, Messiah has come first for Israel, and um, he refers to Israel as what? The children. And he says that it, it, it certainly seems that he's saying that it wouldn't be appropriate for Jewish Messiah to take the children's bread from their plates and cast it to the... Who's the, who's the dog? Who's the dog in the story? Okay. Um, so now some people, some people note that this is... Somebody said little dog. So some people note that the, the word that's used in the Greek here actually refers to kind of a house pet or a little dog or a puppy. And that's not the, necessarily the derogatory word that a lot of Jews commonly used in that day uh, for Gentiles when they called them dogs, which would have been kind of this scavenger, stray, wild dog. But yet you could kind of say... A, a dog's a dog, right? At one level. So, um, how you, you think? How does this fit in your perception of Jesus box, right? So, I'm just thinking: has this story when you think about who Jesus is and how he responds to people? How does it fit in your box? Is he saying what it sounds like he's saying? Any thoughts? Is he saying what it sounds like he's saying? Are you scared? Daniel's like, I'm not touching that. It, I mean, is he, is he... Is he saying Jewish Messiah, Jewish children, Gentile dogs... Let me ask you this. If he is, does it bother you? Yes? Why? Why? Okay. It seems like sometimes Jesus is trying to get an answer out of the person. Hmm. Think about when he tells the disciples, you feed the 5,000. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems like he's almost asking her to challenge him. Hmm. It's a really fascinating story because in a lot of ways it just kind of makes us shiver a little bit. Like, like Jesus said what? And, and he definitely said what he said. So, you know, there is like, okay, so let's, we, do we have to do some reading, you know, between the lines? Um, what's interesting is this Gentile woman gets what he's saying. 
Now, right there is really interesting because almost nobody, even his disciples, every time Jesus says like a parable or a metaphor up to this point, they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And this, this woman immediately gets it, which is really impressive. And she quickly kind of uses this metaphor in, in a clever way to put, insert her need into the story. Um, you know, even dogs get what the children leave over. Even the jo- dogs get what the children drop on the floor. And Jesus is apparently so impressed with the woman's response that he grants her request. And he does this at a distance. He does it at a word. Sometimes we think God is too far off, right, for my need. We talk about him being all present, and I'm not sure I see him. I'm not sure I feel him. Maybe he's very aloof. Maybe he's somewhere else. And we see that the Lord is never too far off to meet our need. Why is Jesus so impressed by how this woman responds? Okay. It's like saying, because back in back in that time, the Gentiles were kind of considered like unworthy mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. So, and Jesus made the uh, metaphor of his blessing being bread, mm-hmm. and the children being the people of Israel. Yeah. Get some of that bread. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's basically saying, like, you know, your blessings still rain down upon us, Mm -hmm. even though they're very, very small increments. Yeah. But she's not Jewish. She shouldn't grow in the. There could have been a lot of Jews living in her region. There certainly were. I mean, this is right outside of Israel, and there were a lot of Jews that had settled in these parts. Yeah, it's it's interesting, those bread lessons are going to keep coming up. And I don't have a lot of time to get into that today, but next week we'll have some more bread lessons. You know, a lot of times when Jesus confronts a non-Jewish person, that person is really closer to believing than the Jews were, you know? Mm -hmm. Their their faith seems to be more in tune with where Jesus is coming from. A lot of times he says some really shocking things to bring out people's faith. And this Mm -hmm. seems like one of them that he just really says something that just is shocking and yet it elicits faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly the woman had a quick wit. And some people say, oh, Jesus was so impressed by her wit. But it's, Matthew's Matthew's telling the story is, is, uh, brings a little bit of insight. It says that Jesus responded, he said, "Woman, woman, you have great faith. Woman, you have great faith. This woman, in her persistence, in pressing into the mercies of God, displayed a great faith. Just a side note. Hey, this is a great encouragement to you parents that are praying. Right? Jesus responds to the mom's request. Not for mom, right? For daughter. It's, you know, we know the Lord doesn't always respond as we ask. And, and we got to trust him in that. But boy, does this show the Lord's heart. That mom is pleading and mom is begging. 
And the Lord says, all right, I'm going to take care of your daughter. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your kids. You know, we, we try and understand this exchange, and we just have recorded words, right? We, do, we don't have inflection. We don't have facial expressions. We don't have body language. And there very well may have been, you get the sense that the way the Lord said it, even though it sounds harsh to us, actually invited her in more deeply. And, and, and it certainly could be that the Lord is putting a test of faith out there. Hey, I'm the Jewish Messiah. Is it really appropriate for me to care for you? And we have to understand the context and the timing here. Jesus is Jewish Messiah, and he is traveling in Gentile territory. Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then what he says, so it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then he says, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Israel has a privileged privilege position. Israel, you know, they're God's chosen people, God's covenant people of old. Through Abraham, the law is given to Moses. They, there is a promised Messiah, right? The law and the prophets. The prophets keep talking about this ruler, this rescuer, this redeemer that's going to come. And Jesus comes as a fulfillment of that all. Jesus' response is unsettling to us because of our perspective. We are Gentiles living 2,000 years later. But the surprising thing in the story would have been that Jesus offered the same healing and mercy to a Gentile as he did his own people. That's the shock of the story. The shock of the story is that is the opposite of what we think. That he's crossing boundaries that the Jews go, we don't cross those boundaries. We have our prejudices and you know, we're not going to go. No, no, no. The Lord crosses boundaries that they couldn't imagine being crossed. That's the shock of the story. What boundaries do we need to be crossing in the name of Jesus Christ in the cause of the gospel? Places that we won't go. People that we think, well, they deserve mercy. They probably don't. That was the mindset of the Jew. And that's what Jesus is breaking into. God knew that, the, that Gentiles would be grafted into the tree. Paul talks a lot about that. It goes all the way back to the covenant of Abraham where God says all peoples will be blessed through you. Not just your people, all peoples will be, all nations. But the timing of this encounter is interesting because in Jesus' ministry, what you have to imagine is that we have we might call what we might call the sunset of the first covenant made with Abraham and under the, under the law of Moses, the sunset of the, that covenant and the dawning of the covenant of God's grace. But it had not yet been sealed in what? Jesus' blood. Right? So Jesus is still setting his face like flint toward Jerusalem. That hadn't happened yet. So in a sense, this woman is coming as an outsider of the first covenant. And the shock is that God includes the outsider. The Lord knows the floodgates are about to burst. 
The Lord knows salvation is going to be offered to all. The Lord had talked to the Samaritan woman, right, in in John chapter 4. Salvation is from the Jews, but there's coming a day, and it now has come, that the Lord's going to be calling worshipers to worship in spirit and truth. He tells the disciples at, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, his resurrected self, he had already sealed the covenant in blood. Now go and proclaim this gospel, this good news. Make disciples of all nations. The miracle of God's grace is that it extends to the outsider. And in this story, we are the outsiders. Our challenge here is to accept that as Gentiles, we are not in the privileged position of Israel. That's who the, the God's chosen people to whom he revealed himself in ages past. And this woman accepts that fact and she still humbly presses forward. R. Allen Cole writes, she must realize that her only hope lay in the uncoveted mercies of God. She had such faith that when she looked at Jesus, she, she says, this salvation of God, this goodness of God that is given to God's people of Israel is so big that it can overflow to me. It's so rich in its bounty that, that even though I have no right to it, no claim to it, I can trust that it can overflow to me. And she was right. She was right. You know, we want to explain these stories away sometimes. Maybe Jesus, you know, what was he saying? And, 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 I, and I think... We need to understand context, but we also need to realize that that Jesus is scandalous sometimes. (laughs) I love this, and I'm going to read a little bit of this David Garland. He, He writes here, Jesus is deliberately scandalous. Throwing stumbling blocks in people's way, he affronts the Pharisees. Now listen, he affronts the Pharisees, but we kind of go, yeah, they were jerks. They were people too. You think he wasn't inviting them? We go, well, they were the enemies. So we, we kind of brush right over that. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs and, and snakes. And, but we, you know, he affronts the Pharisees by calling them hypocrites to their face and scoffing at their beloved tradition. And he insults a Gentile woman, woman by hinting she's a dog. One should allow the scandal to stand and emphasize that one must overcome the scandal before one can open the door for Jesus to help. This this woman comes in humility, not expecting she has a claim or a right. I'm going to read. I I don't always do this, but this is just really good. This this is the same guy I was just reading. He said, No one likes being called hypocrites, an evil generation, a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, foxes or dogs. Our pride kicks in and and it keeps us from ever asking for help again. We will turn to God, small g, of our own making who will not offend us because we convince ourselves that we are special and truly worthy of God's grace and help. Only when we are truly desperate are we willing to do anything it takes, including humbling ourselves to ask for God's help. This woman's attitude in the face of refusal is the key to this passage. She comes empty-handed and can make no claim. She... 
She has no merit, no priority standing, nothing to commend her. Her manner is the opposite of of the snippy, you owe me attitude that prevails among, among so many today. She does not argue that her case is an exception or lobby for special treatment. She does not point out that Jesus is not even in the land of Israel. How could he deprive the Jews of bread by helping her? On the other hand, she does not cut herself off from the miraculous power of Jesus by thinking that she is too unworthy to receive anything at all. She accepts his judgment and bows down as a beggar for grace. Dwight Moody apparently said once that Jesus sent no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. All right, this last, and we'll be more brief on this story, this this last story in in, uh, Mark 7. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, which which is just north of there, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, boy, that's opposite of a lot of people's ministry, right? Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Jesus like, hey, just you and me, buddy. Let me take you aside. Takes him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Might gross some of you out. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epha-atha. That probably was terrible. Which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus travels back through this region. A group of friends come bringing their friend, begging Jesus for his healing touch. And I think like in Mark 2, we see a group of really good friends. And I just so desire that we're friends like this, right? I've seen a beautiful example of that this week. I really have. And the people that have been persistently praying for Rich, going, seeing him, gathering together. You know, I get tired. I got to admit, I get tired of Christianity just being about, you know, what music should we sing? And what Sunday school are we going to do? And, and let's argue over some minutia of some secondary doctrine. You know, what I saw this week is people bringing a friend to Jesus. And I'm like, that's what the church should be about, right? That's what the church should be about. That's what he says is good and beautiful. And these friends are like that. They're bringing their friend to Jesus. And, you know, he had healed the other gal with just a word at a distance. And now he comes to this guy and he's sticking his fingers in his ears and he's spitting on his tongue. And he's, why is he doing all that? Why? Why? 
Okay, part, that's certainly partially true. Any thoughts? I hope not, because your wax grosses me out. But yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I, I think he's meeting him right where he's at. Right? He's meeting him right where he's at. He takes him apparently alone aside. Jesus is not a circus act. He never will be. He takes him alone. Me and you. This guy can't hear. And he can hardly speak. You, you ever have talked to, try and talk to someone who can barely talk because they have a hearing impairment? He can, he can hardly talk. He can hardly communicate. He can't hear. So Jesus is like, ears, <laughs> tongue, gets his spit. Jesus never has this like one size fits all way of doing things. You ever notice that? He's going to meet you right where you're at. You're like, my problems, and I don't know, and am I alone, and does God get it? He's going to meet you right where you're at. Oh, that's good. I'm getting excited. Is that, is it, that's, that's good stuff, right? It's like, forget this cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all ministry fad stuff. You know, it's just like, forget it. What's going on in the person? And how's the Spirit of God leading you to minister to that person? And Jesus looks to heaven. It says he sighs deeply. He literally means he groaned. He groaned. It's the same word used in Romans 8 when it says, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, same word, as we, are, as we eagerly wait for the adoption of, son, of as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then a few verses later, it says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with what? With groans. With groans that words cannot express. Isn't it great that Jesus groans with us? in the spirit. He's face to face with the brokenness of the world. Another deaf guy, another blind guy, another guy struck him with poverty, another guy abused, another injustice, another guy marginalized, and he groans. He looks up to heaven and he groans in his prayer. But it's in Jesus that the restoration of the new creation is happening. All right, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus keeps saying, Let him who has an ear, right, let him hear. We all need our ears unstopped. We all need our tongues loosed. 
We all need Jesus to pray over us, be opened, be free. There's so much that binds us. But Jesus is making a new creation. The great God is doing great things. Amen? He says the people go, oh man, he does everything well. He does everything. He's really good. Right? God said in, in Genesis 1, he looked at all that he had made, and it was what? It was good. Jesus is making a new creation. We're the ones that need to trust and turn to him. A Gentile woman begging for her daughter's healing, a little girl tormented in her own home, a man who cannot hear and can hardly speak. Our brokenness manifests itself in all kinds of ways, and that's true even here. And Jesus comes and meets us right in our specific need, praise God. And when we come to him with humble faith, bowing down as a beggar for grace, grace we will find. Grace we will find. And my prayer is that personally and as a community, we reflect the way of Jesus. That we reflect his way. Isn't that cool? That's what they used to call the Christian movement in the very beginning, the way, because it was Jesus' way and the way to God. (laughs) That we had scandalously crossed barriers that others snubbed with their prejudice. They would refuse to have these kind of one-size-fits-all, thoughtless, cookie-cutter ministry projects. But we say, God, what are you doing? What's going on in this person's life? What is the Spirit of God leading me? to do, to say, to not say. That we would minister his love and his grace and his healing. May our ears be opened and our tongues loosed. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the beauty of your word. You know, Lord, that I was just touching some of the stuff that was going on there. So much more could be said, but I just pray that your spirit is the one speaking and that our ears are opened. And then our tongues can be loosed to sing your praises. Our tongues can be loosed to testify, Lord, to your goodness. I pray, Father, that these men, women, and children, that they minister as you minister. That they're not just looking for a cookie mix, a pre-made box, but they're saying, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. May we meet people, Lord God, exactly where they're at and not be afraid to cross into their lives. Not to say, this person's worthy of mercy and this person isn't. May we live as you lived. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.